Good morning and welcome. We appreciate the presence of each one. We have a number of guests today and we're always excited about that. We hope that you'll stay with us in just a few minutes. We'll go down to the fellowship area and we'll have some food together. And we would love for you to stay. And also I want to invite you to be back with us tonight. But remember tonight we'll begin at 7 o'clock. We'll have uh, 7 o'clock tonight as well as Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. It'll all be the, the same time. We will not meet at 5. But uh, please be with us not only today, this morning, but for the meal and also for the rest of the gospel meeting. Brother Larry Acuff will be here. You'll love hearing him and we appreciate him for his stance for the truth and the things that he does in the kingdom of God. As we begin our lesson this morning, I don't know how many days or how much time during the day that this, ang- uh, th- this father who is uh, uh, anxious and, and also heavy hearted looked down the old dusty trail that led up to his house. I-, I don't know how much he did that, but on this day things were different for his youngest son was coming home. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I want us to think about that verse for just a minute. The Bible says that the father saw him. Uh, When we think about seeing something, it may be that we think about, well, you know, he caught an image of something that was moving down the pathway, but this word that's translated saw literally means to discern clearly or to perceive. You see, when he looked up and he saw that image, that person who was coming down that, that highway, I don't know how he knew him. If he just saw the features, I don't know if he knew the walk, I don't know what it was, but he knew exactly who it was. It was his youngest son that was coming home. He had been away from home. And his father evidently had been worried about him. And now today, that son is coming home. But the Bible also says here in verse number 20 that not only did he see him, but what a sight he must have been because the Bible says he felt compassion on him. He felt compassion on him. You know, the Bible uses that phrase again when it, uh, in relation to the Good Samaritan when he saw this man who had been beaten and robbed according to the book of Luke chapter 10 at verse number 33. And when we think about Jesus, there were a number of times in the, in the uh, pages of Scripture that he had compassion on others. You see, Jesus had compassion on the crowds who hadn't eaten in three days according to the book of Matthew chapter 15 at verse number 32. He had compassion on two blind men, according to Matthew chapter 20 at verse 34. He had compassion on a leper, according to the book of Mark chapter 1 at verse 41. And he had compassion on a widow who had lost her only son, Luke chapter number 7, verse number 13. And, and so in each of these situations, we have some, some very difficult situations, some very difficult circumstances that are going on. A man beaten and robbed, hungry people, and, and even to the, to the funeral procession of a widow who'd lost her only son. These men, Jesus and the Good Samaritan, they had compassion. But this father, this father had compassion on his youngest son as he is coming home. That word means simply to have the bowels, to yearn, to feel sympathy or to pity. And so as he looked at him, he must have seen the condition in which he was in, and he had that compassion upon him. 
But not only does it say that he felt compassion, but the Bible also says that he ran. That's not the normal thing for a father in his culture to do, for an older man in his culture to do. But this time, as he looks up and he sees his son coming, he runs to him. And not only does he run to him, but the Bible says he embraced him. That word embrace is interesting. We, we think about an embrace, you know, as maybe a little hug, but I think there's a, 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 an element to this idea that, that we maybe miss. The Bible uh, uses a word here which means to seize with violence around the neck. You know, he wasn't just sort of hugging up to him. He grabbed him and he hung on to him and he squeezed him tight. You know, you may have that aunt when you go visit that comes up and she'll squeeze you tight, you know, especially when you're young, a young little boy or young little girl and, and you wonder how you're going to get away. But I'm pretty sure that son on that day wasn't wondering how he's going to get away. For his father was hugging him and not just hugging him, he was hugging him tight. He was violently, as it were, squeezing his son because he was so glad to see him. And then the Bible says not only did he do that, but the Bible also says he kissed him. Perhaps this is reminiscent of what we read about in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 14 at verse number 33. In that passage of scripture we have David meeting up with Absalom. You may remember that Absalom rebelled against his father. He eventually was killed. But on this occasion when he uh, came to him when, when his father came to Absalom, when David came to Absalom, the Bible says that he kissed him, an act of forgiveness for what he had done up to this point. And so it may have been that this father on that day hugged his son and he held on tightly and he kissed him in an, in an effort to show that he was forgiving of him. But Jamison, Fawcett, and Brown, in their commentary, write this sentence. What? In all his filth? Yes. In all his rags? Yes. In all his haggard, shattered wretchedness? Yes. This father was happy to the max to have his long-lost son come home. And that's what we see in this story. But in the book of Luke chapter 15 at verse 21, the son begins to talk and the Bible says, He said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That son had rehearsed that before he ever left the far country, the far country of sin. He, he said, Father, in, in my father's house there's more than enough. He said, if I get back there, I, I don't even want to be treated like a son anymore. I just want to be treated like a servant. So he begins to say those words. The son is trying to show humility and trying to show remorse. And he's making a confession that he had done wrong by, by leaving his father and taking the family money and by going and living in the way that he had done. But the father was having none of this uh, as the son had suggested that wasn't the idea that the father had. For in verse 22, the Bible says, The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. You know, have you ever thought about what the son must have been wearing and how he must have smelled? How he must have even smelled. You know, he didn't have enough money even to, uh, to, to buy food to eat. 
And I'm pretty certain he didn't stop at the local Motel 6 to get a shower before he came home. For he didn't have the money for that either. Maybe he had stopped at a creek somewhere and bathed a little bit, but he had no money for soap. And he had been feeding the hogs. And he likely smelled somewhat like a hog if he had been out in the pastures doing that. And so as we look at him and and see him as he comes home, we see a a young man who needs a change of clothes. He needs something to to change into. but, But you know what? Just some clothes was not going to be good enough for the father. The Bible says, if you remember what we just read, that he tells his servants to bring the best robe. Not just any robe was going to do. He said to bring the best robe. Robertson Word Pictures says about this word, literally a robe the first. And then he goes on to explain, but not the first one that you find, but the first in rank and value, the finest in the house. This is in contrast, he goes on to say, with the shabby clothes that he had on. And so, don't just go get him something, but get him something that's worthy of a son. Get him something to wear that looks like he's kin to me. Get him something that says to him, you know, you have some, you have some honor. Get the best robe. But again, as we look at it, we understand that not only did he need a change of clothes, but he also needed a special ring. When he got home, it wasn't that he just needed some new jewelry to wear, but he needed a special ring. He needed a ring that would signify his high favor and his wealth that now he had come back into. And he needed a ring that was quite likely used as a, a signet ring. When we go to the book of Genesis chapter 41, beginning at verse 39 and going through verse 44, we read the story of Joseph, or at least a part of the story of Joseph. And you'll remember after he'd been through all of these things, he'd been sold by his brothers, he had been bought and had uh, worked his way up in the house of Potiphar, and he'd been falsely accused in the house of Potiphar, but he'd been sent to prison, he'd interpreted some dreams, he'd been forgotten by the ones who, uh, the one who had been released, and, and eventually he interpreted a dream that King Pharaoh, that the Pharaoh had. And we know that Pharaoh exalted him. But in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter number 41, we see in part in verse number 41, Pharaoh saying to Joseph, he said, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Uh, That was as good as having the king's signature. He could conduct the king's business with that signet ring. That was what he would use to imprint upon uh, documents and other things uh, the fact that he had the authority to do this. And now this son is home. And he's given one of those special rings. And he is back in the business of conducting the, the business of the father. He is prepared and, and willing and able to do that once again. Not only did he need that special ring, he needed some new shoes. Uh, Likely he was now barefoot. And when it comes to the the clothing, the outfit that a a son would wear in a wealthy family, you know, sons wore shoes, servants didn't. And the father was taking him back in, giving him some new sandals 
that he could wear again in an effort to, to make this son appear that he was worthy of being a son. You see, with all these things, the father was saying, No, I won't treat you as a servant. That's what the son had asked. No, I won't treat you as a servant. I'll treat you as a son. But you know what? The father's not finished yet. The father said in verse 23, Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. And so as we look at that, to celebrate means to put into a good frame of mind, to rejoice, to make glad, to be merry. You know, his son, his son was, was gone. There was nothing more, more uh, appropriate than to have a celebration when that son came home. And so he said, bring that fatted calf. But just here, the story takes a turn. And actually, it's this turn that we'll find the, the title or the, the part of our lesson for which we get our title this morning. In the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 25 and 26, the Bible takes us and focuses us back on that older son. He had two sons, a younger and an older, and now we're back to the older son. The Bible says in verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. You know, he had been out there working. I don't know what time it was, probably later in the afternoon. And now he's coming home from work. And he hears all of this going on. The word dancing that's used there is from the word from which we get the word chorus. And so uh, literally had some performers or some singers who were there and who were, were helping with the party as it was going on. But now as he hears all of this and, and he sees the things that are, that are happening at the house, he wants to know what is this? He asks what it meant. In other words, what's up with this celebration? What's up with this celebration? And that was the title of our lesson this morning. What is up with this celebration? And we know, according to verse 27, that one of the servants answers him, says, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Well, he explains that. He knows, uh, to, he tells his brother in probably anticipation that his brother is going to be happy. That, that he has a, a brother back again who, is, who has come home. But we know the answer that that father, or that brother rather, he wasn't real happy. And this explanation wouldn't do. And so he continues to persist in anger and wanting to know what is this celebration about. And so we can go and we can find the words in verse 24 if we back up again that the father had said, he said, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Because of the, 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 the lost and the finding and the dead and the being alive again, this father wanted to have that celebration. But the son wanted to hear it from the father's own mouth. And in verse 32, we have it repeated. This time he doesn't say, my son, but he says, your brother. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. And so as we look at this, we have a reason for celebration that's been given. Now let's pause again for a moment and let's ask the question, why was Jesus telling this story in the first place? And if we can find that out, you know, perhaps we can find this morning 
some meaning that this story would have in our lives. Uh, some application that we can find in, in, in our life. Not just reading a Bible story, but we can learn what it means to us. Now, why did Jesus tell this story? For us to understand that, we need to go back to chapter 15, verse number 1. And we'll look at verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him. All drawing near to Jesus. They were coming and they were surrounding Him. They were listening to Him. Jesus was going into their house and eating with them. And the Bible says in verse number 2 that the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then notice verse number 3. So He told them a parable. Why did Jesus tell about what we have here? Well, he has some people who need to learn. He has some people that, that need to understand some things. And so he told them this parable. Actually, he is going to tell three in the next few verses. The first one that we find is uh, regarding a, 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 a shepherd with a hundred sheep who lost one. And he went, left the ninety-nine and found that one. He, he, he begged others to, to come and to rejoice with him, for he had found the sheep that was lost. Now I want you to notice something in verse number 7. At the end of that story, the Bible says this. It says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Here we begin to see the reason for the story. There needs to be joy. And this passage says that there was joy in heaven. Now this, by, this passage doesn't tell us who was joyful. This passage doesn't tell us who was rejoicing. It just says that there was joy in heaven. Uh, you see, when we get down here to the latter part that we've been talking about this morning... We can compare ourselves to this younger son who has left and gone into a far country, but when we leave and go into the far country of sin, and we come home from that, there is reason for celebration. Why this celebration we've come home? Jesus tells the story of the, uh, of the man with a hundred sheep, but he also tells the story of a woman with ten pieces of silver. And she loses one of her pieces of silver. And she starts looking all over the house and finally she finds it. And you know what she does? Whenever she finds it, she rejoices and she calls all of her friends together and said, Rejoice with me. But then we find verse number 10, Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so as you look at that, now we're getting a little, little deeper into the point that Jesus is trying to make. You see, the Bible says here, not just that there was joy in heaven, but the joy was before the angels. The word before, translated before here, means literally in the face of, in front of. And so who was there with the angels? Who was rejoicing? Well, we would come to understand that, that the Father Himself is the one who is rejoicing. Sometimes we say, hey, you know, the angels rejoice when a sinner comes home. That's not what this passage says. It's saying that there was joy in the face of, in front of, before 
the angels. And so that leads us to believe that God himself was joyful over a sinner who has come home from the far country. But then we come down to, to the section where he tells them about the man with the lost son. And, and uh, it's there that we see someone who is rejoicing. And, and it's not just anyone who is rejoicing. We're told about this man who has a son. And it's on this occasion, in this passage, as we progress through those three, that it's the Father Himself who's celebrating. And so, being representative of the God of heaven, the Father in heaven, we understand that, that this Father rejoices as His Son comes home. You see, when a sinner sins, it's the Father in heaven who loses a child that goes into the far country of sin and it breaks his heart. Sometimes we have the wrong concept of God. We have the concept of God that when a sinner sins, he's ready to strike him with lightning and just consume him and burn him up. And, and yes, sin angers God. We understand that. The Bible is clear in that. But it breaks his heart to see one of his children, one of his creation go astray knowing that if he persists in that sin, he'll be eternally punished. You see, it's the Father himself who, who has the joy. When a sinner repents and comes home, it's the Father in heaven who celebrates. Amen. But you know what? It's not just the Father who needed to celebrate or who should celebrate. Look again at verse number 23 where he talked about bringing the fatted calf and killing it. And notice what he says. Let us eat. And literally, let us celebrate. Not just, not just him, but, but his servants. That's who he's speaking to here in verse number 23, isn't it? He tells his servant, servants, you back up, to go get the robe and, 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 and to get the ring and to get the shoes and to kill the fatted calf. I want my servants to rejoice with me because my son has come home. You see, when a, a sinner comes home, just like when the son came home, there is reason to rejoice. That's what the celebration was about. And so like the two parables before, the one who has lost something, he celebrates, but he wants everyone to celebrate when that something or someone is again found. But again, the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, they had grumbled that sinners were coming to Jesus and, and He was receiving them. You see, these parables were told to rebuke these unloving and ungodly people, their, their unloving and ungodly attitude that was being displayed by these leaders of the Jews. And like the elder brother, they had stayed at home with God and were refusing to welcome those who had left home and now were coming back to Jesus. Those tax collectors and those sinners who were coming to Jesus. Now, you may notice in this story that we're never told whether the elder brother ever goes in to celebrate. The story ends abruptly there in what verse number 32 uh, we don't know whether he ever went in, if he ever accepted his brother home or not. But we do know that the Jewish leaders continued to resist the mission that Jesus had come to accomplish, even to the point of executing 
him. Now, let's begin to put some flesh on the bones. What should we learn from this parable? What is it that we need to know? What, what will help us as, as we uh, contemplate it and think about our own life? I want us to understand this morning that those who leave home by sin are dead. You do remember what the father said, my son who was dead. And he considered him to have completely been gone. My son who was dead. That's how he talks about them. Notice, if you will, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. I don't have it on the screen, so if you have your Bible, you might want to turn to it. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, talking about the time before they had become Christians, he said to them, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in, what, uh, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says, there was a time in your life when you were a sinner that you were dead. Now, you weren't physically dead, but you were spiritually dead. You were dead to God. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, at verse 23, another quite familiar passage. The Bible says, the wages of sin is death. But you know what? We don't have to stay dead. We may be dead in sin. We may have left and gone into the far country of sin, but we can be made alive again in Christ. Amen. And it's wonderful how the Bible speaks about that. Again, go back to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 4 beginning and going through verse number 8. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. You see, we can be made alive again in Christ. Paul would talk about that also to the Colossian church, church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, he said, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Well, my question is simply this. If I'm dead in sin and I want to be alive in Christ, I know that I have to depend on God. It is by His grace that we're saved. But did you remember what he said in verse number 8 of the book of Ephesians? By grace you are saved through faith. Grace is God's part. Faith is my part. What do I need to do? I don't have to look far because all I need to do is back up one verse. In the book of Colossians chapter 2, where we read about them being alive, made alive together again and having our sins forgiven, all I need to do is back up to verse number 12, where Paul had already written, having been buried with him 
in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, if I want to come home out of the far country of sin, it's through the waters of baptism. You see, as we think about it, when we're baptized, we're made alive again in Christ. Up to that point, we're dead in sin. But it's there that we are made alive again. No wonder then Paul would write in the book of Romans, chapter 6, at verse number 4, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might have a life again. We too might be made alive together with Christ. And so this morning, as I think about my life, if I've gone into the, into the far country of sin and I'm contemplating wanting to come home, I, I want to come back to my Father's house and I want to participate in the great celebration and to make God happy this morning. And I know that I need to be baptized into Christ in order to have that life again. But we're not finished yet. Those who leave home by sin are lost. The prodigal son was lost. The father said that he was lost. The word translated lost means to destroy to lose, to mar, to perish. In Luke chapter 15 at verse 17, he hadn't died uh, physically, but he said, I perish with hunger. I'm, a, I'm about to die. I'm starving. The sinner's not physically perishing, but he is spiritually perishing. His soul is starving to death. You see, when we think about passages like John chapter 3 at verse 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, should not be lost, but have everlasting life. Uh, when we think about Luke chapter 19 at verse number 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, or those who are perishing, if you will. The young son had to make up his mind to come home lest he perish with hunger. And so you know what he did? He changed his mind about living with his father. And he decided it's time to come home. If we're wanting to come home, we must repent. We must repent to come home to our heavenly Father. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse number 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but watch this, but that all should come to repentance. You see, before you can even be baptized, before you can even put Christ on and be made alive again, you have to make up your mind. You have to change your thinking in your life so that you want to come home and want to serve Him and want to be in His house. In the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 26, or 46 through 47, the Bible says, Thus it is written in Christ, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
In Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, having been told that they had crucified the Son of God, we know they asked the question in verse 37, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Do you remember what Peter said? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so repentance, we've, we've got to change our mind, our thinking. That's what happened to the prodigal son in the far country. I'm starving, but my father has plenty. I'm starving, but my father even treats servants better than, better than I'm being treated. I don't even need to be called a son anymore. Just let me go home. And when he came home, he was dead, and now he was alive. He was lost, but now he was found. Notice in verse 13 of Luke chapter 15, the Bible says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there squandered his property in reckless living. Like this younger son, it may be that you have gathered up all of your belongings, you've packed your bags, and you've gone into the far country, but the far country of sin. If that is your case this morning, if that's what you have done, if that's where you're living today, I want you to know this morning that your Heavenly Father is watching for you to come home and is ready to celebrate your return to celebrate before the angels of heaven your return. And, and unlike the elder brother, God's family here at Midway is also watching for you to come home and is ready to celebrate your return. Like the younger son this morning, you, you need to make up your mind, maybe even right now. You need to repent and resolve to come home. In just a moment or so, we'll sing a song during which time you can step out into that aisle. And, and like the younger son who made his way back to his father, you can begin your journey back home. And so you may note that there's one more blank on your sheet. And that's simply this. Do you need to come home from the far country of sin today? I don't know what the answer to that is. Only you can fill in this blank with the correct answer for you. But if you're like that younger son and you need to come home, I hope you'll put yes. And I hope you'll be honest with yourself this morning. And if that is the case in your life, I am praying for you today that you will come home. And you know what? If that is the case, one who is lost will be found. And one who is dead can be made alive. That's what the celebration is about. Do you need to respond today? If so, do it right now.